Welcome to Marlin's Barbecue. Eli Sussman, Fish Stripes Managing Editor, here with you. If you're new to the BBQ, these episodes are not much different from what I normally do with the official show here on the Fish Stripes Podcast, except uh, more likely to be beer involved, and there's more likely to be Alex Contreras involved. He's been hosting these BBQ episodes during the 2020 season. This is the first one, I think, since October, but Alex, great to have you back. How are you feeling? I'm so happy to be back, Eli. Man, it feels so good to be behind this mic right now and talking to all of Marlins Nation. Guys, I was so happy, so proud of the work the guys did in 2020 season. We made it all the way to the playoffs. We swept the Cubs. Unfortunately, I got my month, my, <clears throat> I got my mouth punched because of the Braves and the Braves Nation. I was in Savannah, Georgia. We lost. And that's all cool, man. But long story short, I can't believe I'm saying this. But I was proud to be a loser. I was proud to be a loser as a Miami Marlin. You know why? Because I was so proud to see these guys make it to the top, into the playoffs after 17 years. 17 years, South Florida. And you know what, man? I was super proud to see these guys in the playoff, in the hunt. And you know what? We lost to the Braves. Congrats, Braves. Braves County. Braves country. Whatever you guys want to call each other. Long story short, you guys are sitting next to the couch. Congrats to the Dodgers. Tampa Bay, once again, you guys choked. Jesus, man, I don't know how many times I told Florida fans, don't root for the Rays. That includes myself when I said, let's go Rays in the World Series. I knew I should have not said it. Maybe I jinxed them. But damn it, I told you guys, Florida's real team, the Florida Marlins, you're Miami Marlins. (laughs) Hey, and welcome joining, to the barbecue, Louie. Yeah, joining me and Alex tonight, a new dep- deputy editor at Fish Stripes, and the Marlins are undefeated since he joined Fish Stripes right after the season. It is Louis Adio Weiss. Welcome to the BBQ, Louis. How you doing? Good. What's going on, man? I'm glad to be here. It's exciting. And fun fact: the last time the Marlins won the World Series, October 25th, 2003, I was my seventh birthday. So I was one of the last real birthday gifts I got that actually, you know meant something beyond merely getting a present from somebody so it was pretty great today is draft day today is the rule five draft day and if you guys didn't know it fish stripes selected lewis adele wise lewis <laughs> are you related to what wise the marlins no legend? the uh, 1989 rookie of the year too if i'm not mistaken or was that mark mcguire but um no not related to what wise former colorado rockies manager as well but so, yeah. Eli, question for you. Do we have to send them back after two weeks or are we to keep them? <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, it's a, it's an invention to prevent any one team from compiling too many prospects, from just keeping your rights forever, from holding you back from opportunities. And so these were players available today on Thursday, which is also a first night of Hanukkah. For those of you celebrating out there, happy Hanukkah. And happy holidays to everybody out there. And happy holidays to everybody uh, through the rest of this month. Uh, The Rule 5 today on Thursday was about uh, allowing the best available eligible players who are not protected on a team's 40-man roster. So for the Marlins, Marlins got kind of lucky this year. The way things have rolled out, a a lot of their top prospects were already on the 40-man roster or they're either not, they're too far away from eligibility to be snatched by another team. So a lot of the recent high draft picks that the Marlins have made, all those guys are still safe in the lower levels of the minors. And uh, a lot, all the good rookies you saw during the 2020 season, they're already on the roster. They're already protected. 
so the Marlins, they ended up making it through the day pretty much uh, unaffected. Uh, they lost one pitcher, Brett Graves, who you might remember from the 2018 season. He kind of fell out of favor pretty quickly with the team. And uh, honestly, not too big of a casualty right there. But they were busy adding a lot of new guys from other organizations in the major league phase. These guys, they go right on to the main major league roster. Uh, right-hander Paul Campbell, he was with the Tampa Bay Rays before this. And right-hander Zach Pop, they didn't draft him directly. He was drafted by the D-backs from the Orioles. And then like two hours later, he was traded from the D-backs to the Marlins for a player to be named later. So these are guys that, frankly, I had not heard of until seeing their names pop up uh, on the screen and on the Rule 5 draft broadcast. But uh, all I can do is uh, read up on the scouting reports. We got scouting reports up on the website right now for people from Spencer Morris on both of these guys. They're, uh, they're pretty filthy right-handers. And, I mean, both of them have reached the double-A level before. Um, but I, I think the main takeaway here and the one that uh, I'm not feeling so hot about is the fact that we're just a week removed from general manager Kim Eng going out on a limb and just being very direct and blunt with the fact that the Marlins bullpen is not good enough the way it was set up and that they would have to address that the rest of this offseason. Probably our, our glaring um, spot that we need to really focus on is the bullpen. Um, we've lost several guys out of the bullpen and need some help back there. So that's um, first and foremost. And then you see that the way that they address it, at least for the time being, is by picking up these guys straight from double A and they're going to head into spring training, giving them an opportunity to make the team. But uh, considering how many high caliber veteran relievers are out there on the market, to me, this just feels like taking a really cheap way out and a really risky way out. And I think for people that were really excited about the team taking a step forward next year in 2021, and then you see these moves, they kind of spit in the face of that because these are guys that could be really interesting down the road but they're going to need some time they're going to need some reps at the major league level and they're probably going to struggle initially so i mean that's just my first takeaway there's still a lot of work to do to get this team ready to compete next year so hands down out of the guys that came out of the rule five draft with paul campbell and zach pop i'm definitely going with zach pop if there's a guy i had to pick between one or the other you know what i'm saying if you look at their stats zach pop had a 0.84 era last season guys 0.84 bro that's sparkling bro that's beautiful if he could keep it coming together and both these guys that we selected on the draft have <clears throat> things that you're gonna like you know what i'm saying like like kim ang said before like the guys that we drafted they make you feel uncomfortable preparing for them so, dude, that's exciting. That's exciting that we're drafting guys like that. Louie, how you feel about that? So the one player, that, I guess, of the Rule 5 guys that I wanted to note, and I've as soon as I read his baseball reference page, I genuinely thought, like, I think this guy will make a contribution to our team in 2021. And I like – and that's Paul Campbell. I actually really like his stuff. If you look at his numbers in the minor leagues, by the way, he's a product of Clemson's, you know, obviously more of a football school, but – that, you know, still a great sports program regardless. In parts of three seasons, he reached double A, so it's not too much of a jump for him to skip triple A and go to the majors, you know, entirely, even though he has – there was no minor league season in 2020, so he's 
relatively well rested. A 312 ERA and 233 innings in the minor leagues over parts of three seasons. That plays, and primarily he was a starter, but he has experience starting and relieving 33 starts and 49 appearances. I, for, as Eli said, he's a power right-hander for a bullpen that if you genuinely look at it, minus Tyron Guerrero a year or two ago, we don't necessarily have a lot of guys who light up the radar gun. Richard Blyer is like a throwback to like an older era. I mean, one of the, I wrote a piece on, it was about a month or so ago on cost-effective options for the bullpen. And one of the guys I listed was Brad Peacock. And if you're a real Marlins fan and you go back a long time to Sun Life Stadium, to the hot orange seats, you remember Brian Sanchez, who was a guy who, pitched you know he would come in and you know blow out games or he would pitch sixth seventh eighth inning you know multiple innings at a time in an era when now we only necessarily have a handful of guys in the sport overall who can pitch multiple innings josh Hader, maybe a guy like jeremy jeffers who could be somebody that we could you know look at in free agency even though he may go back to the brewers for the 80th time a guy like campbell who presents a power arm he's had success he comes from an organization like the rays who are very rooted in analytics and you know obviously that's the way that baseball is run nowadays most front offices have an analytics department that's somebody who we could you know use a rule five guy who could give us a boost out of the bullpen in a bullpen that doesn't necessarily have a lot of high velocity guys right my, my quick point on campbell is that he's coming from the rays a rays that just like the marlins are can be financially challenged and really focused on on getting as many homegrown players as possible to keep costs down that uh if the Rays were so high on him then why didn't they bend over backwards to protect him heading into the rule five and it's a it's I mean it's a tough balancing act for them because they're a great team they just went to the world series and so they do have a lot of established players on their roster but it does give me pause when an organization like that not just a good team but one that has to put such a high priority on doing their homegrown pitching, just like the Marlins do that. If they let them go, then I think that says a little something about, about what they think his limitations are. That's all that that's all I'm going with on him. You so. could also make note though, that they are, there have been recent talks about them wanting to cut salary even more, which I don't even understand. I mean, there's talk about them trading Blake Snell three years and 39 million left on that five-year $50 million contract. I mean, not that they see a lot of inherent problems other than the fact that he has issues with commanding the strike zone at times, although he didn't in game six of the World Series. But if we're doing a Rays podcast, we can do a whole episode on that. You know, they they see they may see holes in guys that most of us don't see. I mean, they turned Chaz Rowe into a bona fide solid reliever at the major league level. They took Nick Anderson from us for close to nothing, and look what they turned him into we got ryan stanick and stanick i believe it just parted ways with him you know I, i'm not gonna say let's give up on a guy one spring training hasn't started we don't even know when it's gonna start because of the current situation that we're living in but you know like if we can add like i said if we can add a power arm to the bullpen somebody that comes from that organization i mean they let charlie morton go they didn't want to give him 15 million he's still a very he's an eight he's an ace 38 39 years old and the major league level still and they wanted to let him go i i mean i'm not going to necessarily say that he's perfect but to say that he's like you know useless and that there's like some trepidation about him joining our team i'm actually excited i like i'm i genuinely think he'll contribute for us at some point next season 
Real quick before we keep going on, man, I want to give you a a, a point. If, if this was like around the horn, Louis gets a point because he said Brian Sanchez. When was the last time you guys heard Brian Sanchez? Holy cow. <laughs> that was like 07, 08, 09, that era around there, dude. You got some points for that. He's been around. He's been around. <laughs> dude, I go back to the Mike Jacobs days. The Woo! Mike Jacobs, Dan Ugla, Jorge Cantu days. The that infield, I can't believe Cantu yeah. missed it. He fell short, dude. We could have had 30 home runs for every infielder, man. He fell short. Damn but, it, Jorge. You couldn't Cantu make it. But it was still cool to see all the guys in the infield get over 25-plus home runs, dude. That was epic. Right? Epic. And if that wasn't epic enough during that era that we had everybody in the infield hit over 25-plus home runs, all the rookies in the rotation had over 10 wins. That was an epic rotation. We had Ricky Norlasco, Annabelle Sanchez, Scott Olson, Josh Johnson, and uh, the D train was the leader of that. Dude, damn, I'm feeling like a a dinosaur out here. Woo! (laughs) I mean, you know what's funny? If analytics were a lot more prevalent in 2008 when we had that infield, if you really look at that infield in perspective, every single player, no matter how great hitters they were, Hanley won a batting title the next year. He had 342 in 2009. That was that's one of the best offensive infields merely by home runs and RBIs, even though I would argue that those numbers are relatively arbitrary nowadays because there's different metrics to gauge player ability, especially especially on the offensive side of things. That's probably one of the worst defensive infields of all time. And it's sad because we had Perry Hill, I believe. Mike Jacobs has negative career war on baseball reference and fan graphs because his defense was very inept. Cantu was never necessarily a great defender. We know Hanley obviously couldn't handle three different positions, or let alone four, first base, third base, shortstop, left field. Without then, kicking a ball into left field and yeah, jogging kicking, after and it. Jogging down the line. And then Dan <laughs> I mean, there, if you want to talk about Rule 5 guys, I believe he was a Rule 5 guy from Arizona. Dan Ugla. His name is Dan, Dan Ugla. Ugla. <laughs> he, Yo, don't put this on Perry Hill. Let me run it back. Don't put this on Perry Hill. No, Perry it's Hill. not his fault that they got Mike Jacobs and all those guys in the infield. <laughs> all right, Eli. So did you want to discuss the bullpen at all? I mean, options on the free agent market? Because it's a very depressed market economically. I mean, we've seen teams lose a bunch of money. Right. Right. I mean, my concern with the bullpen is that, so for the moment, because they made these two additions with Campbell and with Pop, their 40-man roster is full. So if they're going to sign anybody to a new guaranteed contract, then they need to make room for them. And the thing is, by bringing Campbell and Pop, these guys are going to be stuck on that roster until spring training. And I think it's been mentioned to me that they might be actually in competition with each other, that they might really only be fighting for one job at the end of it. And you might see one of them return to their old team. And I mean, that's all right. But in the meantime, you're going to have to make tough choices if they're going to do anything significant this year. So, so I'm of the opinion in following the Marlins, especially these last few years that um, you should never overreact too much to individual moves. You should always see, you know, what the corresponding move is, like what the actual aftermath is so that's why I'm hesitating to be too critical because I want to see exactly how the shapes out between now and the start of spring training. Um, but yeah, there are so many veterans out there that like, to me, I, I just can't help but thinking that this is really financially motivated that they just did not feel any of these relievers out there uh, were efficient enough for them. And that's kind of a really disturbing thought because there are so many relievers on the market. I think, 
there are at least 50 guys on the free agent market right now that were pitched as major league relievers last year. And mm-hmm. they're still free agents on the market right now. I mean, the most obvious example that Marlins fans know is Brandon Kinsler because Kinsler pitched pretty well for the Marlins last year. Uh, well, an interesting season for him where he was effective, but you know, he was kind of keeping you on edge pretty often uh, with the way he pitched. He wasn't and how keeping he us on edge as bad as AJ Ramos though. Come on, man. Oh my God. Ramos. He was our Jonathan <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, At least Pablo Bond won a chip. Yeah. Pablo Bond also choked Bryce Harper, but <laughs> you, you are right about Kinzer, though. I see personally, I wouldn't mind re-signing him. I mean, he is somebody that has proven he can close. I looked at his, you know, I looked at his numbers again this season. There are a lot of concerning things about him. He's not a strikeout pitcher. I believe his case per nine is under six. I mean, like Greg Maddox was able to do that for an entire career, but he got it done a different way. His ERA was 223, but his FIP was five. You know, that doesn't count for account for home runs. It doesn't account for things that essentially, you know, balls that don't stay in the ballpark. He walked 11 and 24 innings. I mean, if you project that over a 162 game season, he pitches 60, 65 innings. That's kind of troublesome if he's walking 30, 40 guys, you know, those are some key games that we maybe lose down the stretch. You know, I like Kinsler. I wouldn't mind re-signing him, but do I want to commit two years to him? No, I want to, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with, if I'm re-signing Brandon Kinsler, it's one year, 7 million with incentives, incentives for appearances, incentives for saves, because, you know, I want to see him pitch well. He pitched well with Washington, with Minnesota, he pitched well when he was in Chicago at the end of the season in 2019, I believe. So, I mean, the guy is valuable, but how much do you really want to commit to a, a, a closer who doesn't strike a bunch of guys out? You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, to get into the specifics for people that uh, don't remember, the Marlins had a club option on him for next year. Like they already had him under control for $4 million next year. And they took the 250000 buyout to avoid paying that. So apparently they didn't even feel that he was tradable for a $4 million deal, which um, kind of confused me a little bit, but what? yeah. So it's, it's probably not going to be that expensive to bring him back. There was a report uh, just a few days ago, I think from, it was Craig Mish who mentioned it, that there was some mutual interest between them, that there's still some communication going on. They haven't closed the door for that yet. It's just that as things project right now, they have, so few, even if they have an intriguing set of arms and they have guys that come at you from different angles with different kinds of stuff, as you mentioned, with uh, if you contrast these rule five picks with uh, Adam Simber and his weird submarine delivery with James Hoyt and how he goes at you with slider, 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 um, with between him and Yimmy Garcia and Stephen Tarpley. I mean, they have like a really nice variety of looks, but they just don't have a lot of guys that have closing experience at all in at the major league level uh, even some that don't really have like high leverage setup situ like experience either that that's just such a, a big intangible that um usually doesn't cost you all that much on the free agent market especially when there's so many guys available that uh yeah they're gonna have to do something i mean I, another name that caught my attention just a, a, about a week and a half ago at the non-tender deadline was archie bradley who had done some closing with the D-backs and uh, he doesn't have uh, his swing and miss stuff actually isn't all that overwhelming either, which kind of explains why he might've been let go in the first place by the Reds. But um, even like a buy low candidate, like Sean Doolittle 
Doolittle was the closer on the Nats in 2019 for that World Series run. And then last year, he was kind of undone by a series of injuries. But he's he's another guy that has been around in the league for a while. And for a vast majority of his time in the majors, he's been a strikeout machine and a guy that actually attacks the strike zone as well and doesn't put, give on unnecessary base runners. Mm-hmm. That he's another one that because of his age and because of the mediocre year he's coming off of, you're, you're, it's not really doesn't cost that much to pick him up, but no, you're just going to need a roster spot. And yeah, that's where it's complicated because no matter who they sign on a major league deal at this point, it means uh, letting somebody go. It means either trading away another player on the roster or, uh, or yeah, just putting them on waivers and saying goodbye. So they've put themselves in a really awkward situation. That's all I'll say. Eli and Louie, listen, I know what you guys are saying. I know where you're coming from. I completely understand. But this is where I'm coming from. Why the hell do we have to spend money on guys like Sean Doolittle or Archie Bradley when we can roll the dice on guys from, from the Rule 5 draft or we can trade for somebody younger? Like These are guys that like we can spell equal, same amount of money or less. You know what I'm saying? Like, Look, we traded for, for Pop. We traded for Campbell. These guys have a high high trajectory like they talk about high spin rates they talk about these guys make you feel uncomfortable why not give these guys these young guys an opportunity come in here into the major league level that's that's why i love these marlins like i know where you guys are coming from but we're not going we're not going to the world series next year keeping it 100,000 i would love for us to go to the world series next year but it's not going to happen you know what i'm saying but like right right why not give an opportunity to these young guys like and brandon kinsler like i hope that we could we can resign them but just throwing this out as a fan sentiment, it felt so good to see the guy swipe his arm across the Marlins jersey when we beat the Cubs. Like it's so, it felt so good to see a Marlins player feel so good. Oh yeah, prideful to be a Miami Marlin at that moment, dude. When was the last time we saw a Marlin celebrate to be a Marlin like that, dude? That was epic. <laughs> two and two, Kinsler deals, swing and a miss, got him, and it's over. And the Marlins are headed to the division series as they beat the Cubs 2-0 the final here. And they advance to the DS. I have a list of names here, and I'll and I want to add on to what you're saying about the bullpen. I you know, I'm kind of torn. There is a bit of a di- dichotomy here with this idea that, you know, yeah, we're uh, probably if we played 162 games chances are given our run differential, I believe was like something like minus 41, you know, it wasn't necessarily great. Our team OPS plus was 92. That was tied with the Royals for mid tier in the majors. That's still below average. You're, you know, you're, you're right. When you say that Alex, that we're not, uh, you know, we probably wouldn't have competed over the long span of a season. And in 2021, you know, we're not, we're probably not going to win 90 games, you know, like that's not, obviously that's a given, but we have pieces there right now that I believe are going to be a part of the core of the Marlins that are going to be successful. You know, obviously you have Brian Anderson. I think Pablo Lopez and Alcantara have solidified their places in our rotation for years to come. You have um, Braxton Garrett. I'm excited to see what happens with him, even though, again, he's not a power pitcher, but he's somebody who I think he doesn't display, exude a lot of confidence on the mound, but I think, you know, he, if you polish him up a little bit, you know, he's, two years removed from Tommy John surgery. His arm looks fresh. He looked pretty good in the one and the first start that he made with us getting that win. You have pieces that are going to be there. When we signed Corey Dickerson to a two-year deal, I love that signing because I thought he was a great platoon bat, let alone he did play a little bit more than we expected. 
Dan O'Dowd said this on MLB Network when we signed Dickerson last year. He said, if you need, you know, even if you're not going to get win, even if you're not going to win, if you're going to sign a guy to get better, then get better. If we sign a guy like a Jeremy Jeffers or a Jose Alvarez, you know, a lefty reliever who is very underrated, by the way, pitching with the Angels and the Tigers ever since debuting, I believe, back in 2014 or 2015. If we're not competitive in July, flip, you know, like, personally, I love a guy like Aguiar. I think Aguilar is a great player. I think Jesus Aguiar is fantastic. What he did for us, 120 OPS plus in that limited time last year was excellent. We, you know, that was a rule five guy that we hit on. If we're not competitive and we already have a core of guys who are, who we believe are going to be part of this next core, we sign a Jeffers, we sign an Alvarez, we sign say a Tyler Clippard who's been around and has been traded before, or we sign a Kirby Yates to see if he's healthy post, you know, elbow surgery. If we trade, if we can trade guys like that and get a somewhat decent return for them, you know, relievers are volatile. You can kind of build and choose relievers as you go. If you can get guys that you believe are going to help us in the years to come, then it, I think it's worth it to sign a guy like that. Even if it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win. I mean, like, you know, they say no, no GM is going to come out and say like, we're not trying to win the world series every single year. George Steinbrenner certainly would have never said that as the owner of the Yankees, Kim Engel never say that. But I think if you gave him truth serum, they would say like, you know what, like some of these signings are to hope that these guys can recomp some of their value and we get some of that value back in the form of prospects. And I understand prospects is like backing up is a backing up kind of thing. We're like, Oh my God, here we go again. We're just going to have to wait even longer until we can play bonafide competitive baseball. But with the ownership group that we have now with the people that we have in the front office, I genuinely think, you know, it, there's some incentive to sign guys like that, especially in a market right now where nobody knows how much these guys are going to get. We can get a lot of these guys at bargain bin prices. Right. Yeah, listen, I, I, touch, touching on Aguilar, I'm sorry, touching on Aguilar. Aguilar was a waiver claim. And um, I'm sorry, I hate, yeah, to, say I hate to say it, but Rob Manfred is the main reason why I blame failure in Major League Baseball. All right. This is why I'm saying this, because if Rob would have communicated more clearly, I know he said maybe he said a week before, hey, guys, prepare for no DH in the National League before we announce this on this podcast. He said that a week before. All right, cool. But, dude, why the hell would you say that after you had a successful season, a short season during a pandemic, you put the the DH in both the, the universal DH dude fans were happy to see that you know what I'm saying myself included like I'm a big National League fan I've always loved watching National League baseball watching the pitchers go up and if they connect and they rake awesome you know what I'm saying I was fortunate enough to see the D train bat I was fortunate enough to see you know what I'm saying guys like Brad Penny hit home runs AJ Burnett hit home runs Carl Bavano hit home Josh runs Johnson. you know what I'm saying Josh Johnson hit home runs guys like that and that was pretty epic when they would hit them but what the hell were the percentages on that? Very little. You know what I'm saying? And like and and watching like the DH being implemented, the universal DH being implemented into the season last season, the short season, the 60 game season, dude, that was pretty cool. Like I felt like it gave the Marlins a, a, an extra edge. Like we needed that extra edge. We needed more offense, and that extra batter helped us a lot. You know what I'm saying? I read this article the other day on Twitter, and it was like, dude, the Marlins 
had a crazy win percentage. Uh, it was over 70% of games that they would win in seven inning games. So whenever they would do double headers last season, it would be seven inning games, right? I felt so short changed as a fan, but the Marlins were super effective. Like they would send out a, 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 a starting pitcher out there, like Pablo Lopez, you know, and he would go five innings, six innings, and then whoever, boom, just give it to, to the closer, Brandon Kinsler. And Kins would come out and he would close out the game. And the Marlins had over a 70% chance of winning that game. And that was pretty epic, dude. Like, I felt pretty cool about that. But at the same time, I felt a little bit shortchanged. It, yeah, well, I, I mentioned this before we started recording that uh, even though that, that that reporting as of this moment is that National League teams are preparing for no DH, I, I think by the time we get to spring training, that's going to get cleared up and it's going to be universal. But don't you think for the safety of just like keeping, you know, guys like Alcantara or Lopez or, you know, anybody, you know, Braxton Garrett or a myriad of other guys that we see factoring into our pitching rotation, moving forward, healthy by not having them get injured in the batter's box is more important than letting them go up there and occasionally get a base hit. You know, like I, you know, I, I want to give Sandy Alcantara, you know, a long-term extension to be there for a while and having the DH in both leagues, I think appeals to both the new school of analytic thought of pitchers shouldn't hit. It's a, it's a wasted out. That's like, you know, when Tony La Russa would bat his pitchers eighth, it's a novel concept, but what are we doing here? I feel like the Marlins have always been recognized as a pitching first organization, like pitching and defense first. Like I know what you're saying that we didn't have much of a offensive team in past years. We would have one or two superstars that would be like sluggers, you know, in the Sheffields and the, in the Stantons and the Uglas how you speak about like Cody Ross was pretty cool, but you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, like look at how many amount of no hitters that we have. Like, I feel like we're the complete opposite completed compared to the Colorado Rockies. How many, you know what I'm saying? They have a a bunch of freaking cycles, but we have a bunch of no hitters. Right. Well, we can see some evidence that new ownership isn't, they don't necessarily want to stick with that pitching first uh, reputation entirely. Like, you know, we, we've seen them preach about how important it is to build up pitching depth in the organization, but you also see their actions bringing in the fences at Marlins park in center field and right center field um, entering this season. And I don't, we didn't get like much of a sample to see how that plays out, but um, by bringing in the fences, uh, they certainly want to encourage this team to be able to actually hit its fair share of home runs too. Like they're, they're not fully wedded to that whole perception of being all about lining up a bunch of aces back to back to back. They also, yeah, they're committed to having a ballpark that plays pretty neutral. And so that they just believe there's going to be enough talent top to bottom on the roster to be able to win games in a bunch of different ways. I think what I'm stuck on is that understanding where we are right now still in the middle of this pandemic and understanding how revenues were impacted this last year, that for most teams, payroll is going to come down based on where it was projected to be in 2020. And that's understandable, but there's, there's a certain line to draw with that too. When you have this Marlins team, they're on the verge of signing a new television contract for the last 15 years. They've been stuck under the worst TV deal in major league baseball 
the new one is about to kick in, that's going to make a very tangible impact on the revenue they bring in, regardless of attendance. And also um, just the reality that that they've already had a lot of their bad contracts come off the books. I mean, the fact that that Wei Yin Chen contract is finally done, that, uh, that, that alone should have given them a lot more flexibility to, they, I'm not even holding them accountable for increasing their payroll based on where it was entering 2020. I'm more so, I look at moves like declining the option on Brandon Kitzler, like non-tendering, getting rid of um, Jose Ureña. And they, between those two moves, they shed about seven, seven and a half million dollars. When you go from those two guys to the rule five draft picks that are earning the league minimum, that's going to save the team uh, close to $7 million. And all I'm asking is for them to put that money back into the team. Mm-hmm. They had control of Brandon Kinsler for one more year. They had control of Urenia for one more year. And they declined to bring them back and instead replace them with two players that don't have experience above the double a level um as much as we may have concerns about Kinsler and orenia going forward it's really hard to make the case that the team is going to be better with those rule five draft picks taking their place so all i'm asking for is that in these with those particular cases that they do make some sort of an effort to uh tie up the issues because we spent a lot of time talking about the bullpen I mean, there's still a lot of concerns about the offense too, because last year the offense was led by Miguel Rojas had the year of his life when he was actually able to play. Uh, Jesus Aguilar had a big bounce back. And um, I mean, Starling Marte was super clutch for them when he came over, but he's also 32 years old now heading into next year. And they have, they're going to be relying right now on a lot of young players and a lot of these veteran players that you really worry about regressing that even so much went right for them last year offensively and then you take a step back and you actually look at the numbers and they were not a good offensive team they were middle of the pack at best Mm -hmm. and by a lot of standards they were actually below average as a hitting team so there's so much work to do there and like I said it's I'm not even holding them to a super high standard I'm just saying that the players that they already had under control that they declined to bring back that you reallocate that money to address your needs and you reallocate that towards bringing in at least one maybe two veteran relievers on short-term deals and at least one bat that you could um even without a dh and like i said i really expect there to be one once the dust settles but bring in a guy at, that could either play second base they could play right field. I mean, those are the two positions that are totally up in the air right now that right now they're totally relying on these um, former top prospects to take the next step. And uh, you don't need to plug all your holes via free agency. I don't think any of the best teams really do that, but yeah, I want to see some sort of balance between the present and the future because so far all these moves that they've made this off season are really focused on, really 2022 and beyond there's they're not showing any urgency to win next year and i think we can all admit that it's going to be a very long road for them to be a great team next year i think people that have been listening to me during the 2020 season there was a lot of flukiness that was able to get them to the postseason i don't think there's any denying that but i don't i also think it's important to not let this team take advantage of people because that's a position that uh, right now they're on the course towards doing that because 
the team had that nice ending, re- making the playoffs and winning a postseason series, that um, they may feel that that gives them a honeymoon period with this fan base for at least another year or two, just because they finally ended that drought. And I worry about them trying to take advantage of those fans because they were so deprived for so long. So I had made mention of one of those, the first real major deals other than the Trevor May signing of the Mets that has had an impact or will impact the way that the free agent market kind of shapes up is the Royal signed Carlos Santana. Two years, I believe it was $17.5 million. So for $8.8 million a year, approximately, you know, that's a pretty good signing for a team who, like the Marlins, you know, they haven't necessarily developed starting pitching recently the way that we have. You know, Danny Duffy, I guess, is the go-to guy along with Jacob Junis, but neither have done much recently to show me much promise. What the The Santana deal strikes me the same way that the Dickerson deal struck me when we signed him last offseason in that he's a professional hitter. Corey Dickerson, remember, gold glover. He, you know, career 290-plus hitter. What you want to do with a guy like Santana, Carlos Santana is the perfect example of somebody, a veteran, somebody that we need on our team. And, you know, you and me were talking about it before, the right field situation, before we even got on air to do this podcast tonight. Why get a Carlos Santana, dude? I mean, you got a Gary Cooper, you got a Jesus Aguilar, you got a, a surplus saying, of outfielders. Like, why do you want to bring base. in that outfielder in here? Like, not to play first base. Why do you want to bring this veteran in here and pay him seventeen million dollars? Like, not at all what I'm saying. So, if we so, and this is again, this is a short term thing. This is bring. This is about bringing in a veteran who we who I believe can w- rub off on these, you know, young guys. Give them, you know, some insight on how to be a professional at the major league level. How to more hit. than Miguel, more than Miguel Rojas has been. Miguel already. Rojas is a professional, but offensively, I don't project him to have the longevity of, say, a guy who I'm going to mention. And again, this is a short-term commitment thing. He knows the division. Nick Markakis spent five years with the Braves. Right field right. is major uncertainty. If you have a universal DH. Nick Markegas has won a gold glove. He did it, albeit a long time ago in Baltimore. He's a professional hitter. Somebody who, despite playing a short amount of time in 2020, as everybody did, still put up relatively solid numbers, was an all-star two years removed. Again, a professional hitter in a lineup devoid of many professional hitters, a lot of guys who have general inexperience. I think we owe it to ourselves to get a veteran in there who can, one, provide solid offensive numbers, although, you know, you're not going to get much in the way of power from Marquecas. He's never known as an, as a prodigious power hitter, but somebody who's going to hit 280, 290, whether or not you value batting average or not, somebody who has relatively decent on base goals, I believe is on base percentage is somewhere around 350 compared to a guy like Santana, who, you know, the Royals aren't going to win a world series with Carlos Santana playing first base and DHing for them. But I've, guarantee you that that at his approach at taking more walks being a more patient hitter not striking out the way that everybody is so accustomed to doing nowadays I would argue that one year Nick Marcakis may rub off on a guy like Harold Ramirez or a Jorge Alfaro guys who you know have the potential to be solid offensive players at the major league level but maybe need a little bit more guidance you know from somebody who's been there and done that you know somebody that they can aspire to be like 
Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm sorry, man. I, I'm, I hate to cut you off and all that, but I mean, that's why we got the the, the freaking coaching staff. We got Don Mattingly. It's James true. Ross, I agree with you. We got all these guys there that, that that are getting paid the big bucks to be there and to guide these young guys. These young guys need an opportunity. Why do you have the one of the best farm systems in all Major League Baseball? You're just gonna let them sit there and they keep bringing in these old guys? Like, no, yeah, no, no. I feel what you're saying, but like, come on, dude, let these young boys play. So J.J. Blade, we can all agree, is the future right fielder of the Marlins. That's that's a certainty. I mean, he comes from Vanderbilt. That's a prodigious baseball school. We also have to be conscious of the fact that he has not played above single A, advanced A. The 2020 season starts, he, 2021 season starts, he essentially missed a full year of baseball, minus some spring training and all that. You know, he, de he didn't get into games. He's another year at least away from the major leagues. At earliest, he's in the majors in September of next season if we get to play a full slate of games. And that's Listen, man, if he's not look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna count my chickens before they they're, they're hatched. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I maybe Kim pulls the trigger. We get a, a, a we're in the middle of a playoff race, how we did with Adrian Gonzalez and we traded him for a new Bina. And that we pull a trigger. Like, I, I can't talk about a J.J. Blade being there in right field. Maybe our right fielder is uh, uh, an, an Encarnacion. Maybe Monte is a future right fielder. Maybe they slide him over. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe uh, uh, Rojas, Mel Rojas Jr. that just signed a two-year deal out in Japan. You know what I'm saying? That we were all hyped about. Maybe he comes after two years and says, yo, I'm done. I, play, I finished my two years. He comes to the major leagues. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Brian Anderson slides back over to right field because we traded for an epic, right, uh, epic third baseman like a Jose Ramirez. Who knows what the hell is going to happen? We got a Joe Dunn tearing it up in winter, in winter ball out in the Dominican Republic. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, I can't talk about what's going to happen in the future. I could just talk about the depth that we have. I could talk about what makes sense for us as the Miami Marlins. We're a small market team, and we just got to keep pushing it forward. I mean, if you want to allocate $7 million, as Eli was recently talking about, Nick Markakis is going to cost maybe half of that because he signed a $4 million deal with the Braves. Again, I, I don't, don't want to. I don't, I don't, I don't spend that on him. Why would I spend that on him? I got a Sterling Marte. I just traded for a Sterling Marte. Harold Harold Ramirez is looking like he's healthy. He's tearing it up in the Colombian league. Like, come on, dude. Like, look how many people we got in this whole league. Like, in, in our organization, do these guys got to play or do they not got to play? Like, Magnarius Sierra, drop the butt, Mags. Come on, dude. Like, we got to see. These oh no, I and I and how I. How many? It's not softball. We only got three outfielders. Like, it's got to come. come there's going to come a time where we got to let, let these guys play and thank God that we're slowly but surely safely coming back to normality in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? Next year, it's looking like we're going to have double A, triple A, single A, rookie ball, all that again. And thank God for that. Shout out to the blue Wahoos and the, and the owner, you know what I'm saying? Mr. Studs, you know, Mr. Studder, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, it's, it's cool. Like, dude, we just got to keep pushing forward. Yeah, I mean, Harold Ramirez, I think, has a role in 2021 for sure. Dickerson is was that wasn't even signed to play every day. I mean, he just played by way of obviously a lot of the COVID-related injuries. It was a 60-game season, but if it wasn't a 60-game season, he wouldn't have played a normal every season. If it wasn't a normal season, he would have not played every game. He's exactly. not Cal Rickman Jr., but he would have at least played at least 135, 140 games. That's why you signed this guy. This guy was a gold glover. The Philly fans were heated that they lost him. He was a professional hitter. That's why the Marlins brought him over. That professional hitter that you're talking about that we can sign, 
oh, uh, the Carlos Santanas of the world that you were talking about, dude. That's why we brought this guy over. But and I and I told and I agree with you. I mean, like I said, I was high on the Dickerson signing when it happened. The thing is, I mean, these are just stop gaps. I'm I I've given up on Lewis Brinson. I understand they're gonna give him one more shot. Don't give up on Brent. Don't give up on Brent. Come on, man. Give him some credit. At least one thing that we can talk about: short season, yeah, and everything. I was one guy. I felt like you felt. I was a hard critic about him. I was like, damn, I was Brent Diesel. Couldn't get it together. I can't wait to, for him to have a, a subpar season, an average season, so we can flip him. But the guy, give him some credit. He looks a lot more comfortable at the plate. You know, he's got some more swag at the plate. And that's what you want. Like, come on, man. Oh, dude, my relationship with him, and this is not necessary. I mean, I'm, I've always been a fan of the guy. If you really want to get – I've known Lewis Brinson since he was 16. I – Played his high school team when I was a freshman. I saw the guy hit 400 foot home runs, play center field. You know, like I thought he was a man among boys watching him play when I was a kid. And when he was traded to the Marlins, I was like, this is great. You know, he's going to be with his hometown team. Dude, I, you know, how many baseball, you know, seminars and camps I went to with him? I was 14. I'll tell you a story real quick before we go. I faced him when I was 14. I was like, I'm a lefty. So I was throwing like cutters and sliders and stuff. You know, obviously I don't throw a million miles an hour. Dude hit a four, hit a ball to dead center field, 400 foot bounce off the wall. And I'm like, why isn't this guy in the majors? And two years later, you know, he got drafted by the Rangers. Things didn't pan out. He went to the Brewers. Personally, I know, you know, like I just don't, you know, one, I don't necessarily think there's enough opportunity for him there. If we have Dickerson there for another year, Marte is going to be an expensive option. I'm glad he's on our team, though. I think Sterling Marte, regardless of the steroid suspension a few years back, is an excellent player. I think we just have better options. I think, you know, Lewis Brinson hasn't necessarily panned out. Not to say that he won't with us or somewhere else. I just, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep at night if we turn the page on him. Hey, man, all things aside, shout out to Lewis Brinson. Shout out to Monte Harrison. Shout out to Nunez. I'm talking about the guys that were out at the the drive for Marlins Impact today. Um, it was a beautiful thing to wa- witness, watch the Marlins come and support our community out here in South Florida. You know, seeing the uh, kids bringing smiles to kids' faces, dude. It was a beautiful thing to witness. And like all things aside, like I, I feel where you're coming from that you, you're not satisfied as a fan, uh, as an individual watching. Lewis Brinson and not coming up to the to the expectations that you have that we have but you know what I'm saying all things aside shout out to him and, and the Marlins organization for leaving a mark in the next generation leaving an impact in the youth yeah all this week they have events lines up either at Marlins Park or uh, surrounding communities they have one other uh, drive through food distribution up at Roger Dean and Jupiter uh, and they're getting the players involved as you said Brinson in Monte, we're out there today. I think Isan, Miggy Rowe are going to be involved in these coming days at other events. So that's good to Santa see. Santa Billy, Billy the Marlin dressed up as Santa. Yeah, Billy. that was pretty epic. Billy's slim. Ew, his diet looking pretty good. Billy's all slimmed up. He's on that uh, tuna diet. <laughs> yeah, good to see. And uh, I think I think it's only appropriate to mention the other news that came out today, somewhat surprisingly. From Joe Fersaro, MLB.com, 19 seasons covering the Marlins. And 
put out a big letter today announcing that he's going to retire after 19 years. He penned this little letter. My time is now to come out of the lineup. Um, I, I put the whole thing up on, on fish drives uh, right on our homepage so that people can read it. Um, I, I transcribed to the whole thing from, from his picks that he put up there his official last day with MLB.com December 28th. So just two and a half weeks, right at the end of the year, this after covering these virtual winter meetings, uh, just some little quotes in here from him about how grateful he is to the Marlins organization. It's a guy that he grew up rooting for Don Mattingly and seeing him win manager of the year brought a lot of joy to him. Thankful to all the fans who are passionate about this sport that I love so greatly. I'll miss the grinds. I'll miss my teammates, my colleagues who are immensely talented and provide daily baseball coverage as second to none. My work family is deeply special to me. And uh, he, he had somewhat of an interesting relationship with fish stripes. The people that ran the site before I did were, uh, did not get along with him and got into some unflattering disputes with him that I felt were uh, kind of inappropriate. When I took over the site a few years ago, I tried my best to mend our relationship with him. And uh, when we've had the good fortune these last couple of years to send riders to the ballpark to cover games, he was usually uh, pretty helpful with that, with getting people comfortable, with getting to know them, giving them some tips. And yeah, he, he's been through it all, man. I mean, this franchise being 27, 28 years old and him being on the beat for about two thirds of that, he saw everything. He saw the World Series. He saw D-Train at his peak. He saw Josh Johnson at his peak. He saw Hanley and Stanton and Jose hey, and everybody in between. I'll never forget the first time that I, I, I was credentialed as media walking into a Marlins game, right? And I walk into the press box area. And the first guy that I walk in and I see is Joe Frazaro. I'm thinking, I'm like, yo, this is the guy that I've always seen on MLB.com. As a kid, I used to send emails to the inbox to ask questions. You know what I'm saying? And it, was, it was exciting. And, and, and it would be controversial controversial at times that I would think I was like, all right, I agree. I disagree with what Joe saying. He's not saying, and he would stir up the pot and it was cool. You know what I'm saying? He would do his job. So it was cool for me to meet him. And, and I was thankful to meet him and, and, and the way that he was, he was a, he had a, a funny humor about him. He was a, a, an oddball. He was a good guy. He, he was a baseball head. Um, respect him, bro. He's got mad knowledge. He's a legend. And uh, long story short, man, if I can, like, dude, the humor he brought, the dark humor he brought was awesome. So, Joe, thank you for everything you did, your dedication, your motivation, your exposure, for revealing everything that you could to Marlins Nation. Uh, enjoy retirement, man. You know what I'm saying? I know it's, it's retirement from MLB.com, but I know he's going to do some other stuff. I know he had some funny segments with his shirts and his his messages during the seventh inning stretch. Oh, in an in a franchise that's marred by instability with overhead turning over, you know, new managers, new new players, he was a definitely a stabilizing force. You know, him, Rich Waltz, Tommy Hutton, all those guys that have that did games, have done games, Jeff Conine, that have just been in the organization for so long, Jack McKean. He's one of those guys that I think when you think of the Miami Marlins, people who don't necessarily get the credit that they deserve, 
he's definitely he's kind of been like our Lou Gehrig. He's been there for so long, and I'm you know I've always been a fan of Joe Fasaro's. I've watched him you know do reporting on MLB Network when they've talked Marlins for years. You know I've de- I've always been a fan of his. So it's gonna be gonna be a hard act to follow for sure to say the least. Yeah, he was always the first guy there and the last one out, dude. I'll never forget, like going back to the first, the first game I was there, I was like, boom, the game was over. I was ready to head out. Everybody was bouncing out, but Joe was still there on his computer writing up his, his article. And I was like, dude, let me finish up this article before I drive back down to Miami. It was a drooper. I was like, let me finish this real quick. You know what I'm saying? And I finished the article, posted it. And then I thanked him. I was like, yo, Joe, thank you, bro. Like, like, I, I would have not seen him doing that, that dedication, that grind. That's the, that's the way, bro. I told him, I was like, oh, yeah, tres la escuela, nosotros somos el futuro. Basically, I told him, I was like, yo, you're the school and we're the future. Thanks for the example, dude. I think that's the perfect way to end tonight's show. Yeah, and we'll keep you posted into who fills his shoes because, I mean, unfortunately, in this market, there was a lot of scaling down in Marlins coverage this year. I mean, the Sun Sentinel, for the first time in forever, they didn't have a daily beat writer. The Athletic had Marlins coverage for a couple of years, and then in the middle of this year, they backed out on that part of layoffs. So, But with MLB.com, they don't really have a choice. Like They need to have a full-time guy covering every single team, and we're now barely two months away from the start of spring training. So I imagine they're going to be looking for a replacement. We'll see exactly what the hiring process is. Uh, we'll keep you posted. And whether that person that takes a job is, is somebody that uh, we're familiar with or whether it's somebody new, it's going to be interesting to, to see how they handle it because uh, it's uh, as great as Joe was, he was somewhat of an outlier. And the fact that he had been around so long in that position, he was there ever since the beginning of MLB.com coverage. Like, I think he's one of the few that had made it that long. So no matter what, the style is going to look different and it's going to take some getting used to. But for Marlins Barbecue, Eli Sussman, Alex Contreras, Louis Adio Weiss, making his Fish Stripes podcast debut. Uh, you can see this episode. You can listen to this episode wherever you get your pod. I might put this up on YouTube as well so people can see the episode for themselves. But yeah, we're, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. Hopefully, roster is full at the moment, but a lot of other options for the Marlins to improve their team and more coverage and analysis of these moves up on fishstripes.com. You know where to find me on Twitter at fishstripes and at Real Eli. And you can find Lewis at adio underscore Lewis zero zero. You can find Alex at The Real Acon and also at Talk Baseball TV. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Go fish.